looked about what I expected them to look like yesterday. I give the nod to Willis because he was the more impressive player, seemed to be in better command. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Monday, August the 14th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and you can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT, who you can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, how are you? How was your weekend? It was good. I'm finally back in Nashville here home. at home yeah. base in my home office with my home setup. And I could not be happier right now to be back with this setup and, and not having to just kind of use a jank setup for the last week and a half. So it's good. I'm good. Yeah, Being able to do our job on the go is a nice perk of the job because you don't have to stay home all the time. But it is also not fun to do remotely. It's a lot of gear and it's uh pretty janky situation so i i completely understand and sympathize with that um we've got an actual game actual we've got a game of sorts to discuss today which is exciting um I, we've already got a couple people with us here in the live appreciate those of you that are with us already before we dive headfirst into the winners and losers jt we're back with the winners and losers we are so back we are we're it so is, back it is we're uh here. We're, we're here and we're going live on a sunday kind of odd for us I haven't gone Live on a weekend in, in a long time, but we are here to talk about Saturday's preseason game between the Bears and the Titans. The Titans fall. What was the final score? 23-17 to the Bears. Not that the final score matters in a preseason game. It's about what we actually learned, what we saw from the players, and that's what we're going to dive into today. But before we do, those of you that are with us live, thank you so much for being here. If you could do me two quick favors. First, if you're watching on uh, Facebook or on Twitter, Head on over to the YouTube page of Broadway Sports Media. Search Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. Find the live stream of this show there. And that's where you should watch so that you can get access to the comment section and leave comments and be a part of the conversation like our boys Diesel and Pretty Boy Lipschitz already have. Appreciate you guys being here with us. So go and do that on YouTube, Broadway Sports Media. That's where you got to go. And then... If you would not mind sharing this video, this live stream as any way you can, as best you can, whether that's a like or a retweet or sending the link to a buddy, um, you know the drill. It's very helpful to us to get as many eyeballs on this live show as humanly possible. So it would be a huge personal favor if you could do that for me. And without further ado, JT, let's dive into the winners and losers from the Titans first preseason game against the Bears. Um, before we, we get into the specifics, you know, I, I just want to talk about how people are discussing this game and put out some qualifiers first. Like I said, it, it's not really about the score at all for the next three, the next two games after this and the game we're about to talk about today. Obviously, the score, unless you're the Baltimore Ravens, does not matter. Um, it, it's the, the game. It's like it's like uh, back in the day. Whose line is it anyways? The points are made up and nothing matters. Um, but. What, what does matter about these games is what we see from the players, although some folks have seemingly been talking about this game. I've seen a lot of this online, and um, I'm sure we're going to hear on the radio a number of people talk this way this week. Talking about it like there's only one preseason game. Like, or do people not know that this is number one of a there's, a, there's going to be a sequel, and then they're going to make it a trilogy, guys. There's three of them. Um, and, and so there's going to be more, and there's still like training camp's not over either. 
They're coming back to practice. We'll be there tomorrow for them to practice, and then they'll head on up to Minnesota for their joint practices before their second preseason game of the year later this week. So the 53-man roster does not come out tomorrow, okay? It comes out two and a half weeks from today. Training camp is, I did the math, just 60% over. So we've still got two-thirds of our preseason games to get through. We still got 40% of the camp to get through. Let's chill. Let's pump the brakes on any super definitive. Um, I saw a lot of people talking about like what well, the kicking competition is over. The inside linebacker competition is over. The, uh, the backup quarterback competition is over. No, it is not. <laughs> it's not, not even close. Um, yesterday's game did not solidify anything. It is just a piece of the grander puzzle. So I want to keep that in mind. Now, obviously Will Levis and Malik Willis headlined the game. Um, it, it, there were a number of players outside of those two that, that showed off in one way or another, positively and negatively. And we'll, we'll discuss all of that. But, um, one other thing that I wanted to mention was how we, we may not, um, how do I, how do I phrase this? You know what? I'm going to hang on. It's I'm going to save it. We'll talk about it later in the episode. I've decided to wait, um, for that point. So the first loser today, very jumbled so far. Sorry about that. Um, we got our first loser, and it's the depth for the Titans. Now, there are some things that we could not have figured out without having seen this first preseason game. This is not one of those things. And there were a lot of folks talking about things from yesterday's game, like, well, now we know. And some people were talking about how, we, oh, we know this team has bad depth now. Mm -mm. We've known this for a, a while. Any Titans analyst or broadcaster or writer that you have listened to in the last two months worth their salt has been talking about how this team has serious depth issues. It is very much a stars and scrubs build of a team. And that's what Rand Carthon in his first year as a GM has had to work with, largely to no fault of his own. And, and, and being a stars and scrubs team isn't inherently a bad thing, right? You can look at the 2021 Los Angeles Rams who won a Super Bowl with, a, with the ultimate, really, stars and scrubs team. That team was like 15 really, really good players and then dudes that would struggle to make any other NFL roster. Uh, and, and so you can get by perfectly fine and have a lot of success with a team built this way. It just requires your stars to one remain stars and not fall off a cliff, whether that's due to age or, or the scheme or whatever it may be. And, and number two, and more importantly, stay healthy. And we know with this Tennessee Titans team, that is a tall ask that's a that's a tall order in the past two seasons and so that's reason i think for some concern this year if you are a team that is built like this team is on the 24-ish guys that didn't play yesterday i believe it was 24 players that did not see the field yesterday and we got to see a handful of starters here and there um but largely this is a team built on those guys and they need them to stay healthy and remain effective and if they do they can be an effective team but that is something that was on full display yesterday, JT. As you got deeper into the game, the depth became a massive concern. I think the the one area that really stood out most to people was that offensive line depth. And I want to make this clear. This is one of those things that I think fan bases fool themselves into thinking is unique to them. Like I think Titans fans, a, a large contingent of them, like to think about this team as, as a team that is – particularly thin at offensive line. And I'm not saying they aren't like they definitely are near the bottom of the barrel in the NFL for backup offensive lines. But if you just scroll Twitter long enough yesterday or scroll message boards or, you know, 
ask around the league to buddies of yours that are fans of different teams and ask him like, you know, how was your offensive line backups in preseason? The answer is the same across the board. Backup offensive lines stink. That's why they are backups. And maybe offensive line more than any other position group in the entire game in 2023 uh, is, is the one in which the, the quality of replacement players around the league is super duper duper thin. Like there may not be another position, maybe quarterback is, is another one that you could, you could argue, but really with offensive lines, you've got just enough. And one could argue, maybe not just enough quality players in the world to make up 32 groups of five guys to play football. Um, and that is demonstrated pretty much in any preseason game you watch JT. I, I I've not watched a single preseason game so far where I'm like, wow, these backup linemen are doing a knock up job. No, they all stink. That's, that's why they're backups. And um, the drop off from starter to backup linemen in the league across the board is a bad one, but we saw depth issues with the linemen for sure. The defense, we saw a lot of depth issues with, with, and it reminded me of our conversation with Nick Suss of the Tennessean back last week on uh, Wednesday's show when we were talking about how the curve for offensive drop-off and defensive drop-off on this team, th those lines kind of intersect, right? Like, we agreed on that show that the Titans' starting defense is better than the Titans' first-string offense. And then you put the, the, the second-team defense and the second-team offense against each other, and they're kind of evenly matched. And then you get the third team defense and the third team offense. And in our opinion, and I think this is just true, the third team offense is actually better than the third team defense. The back end of the roster for this team on defense is, is really, it exemplifies lawn chairs and deck furniture players. And no disrespect to these professional athletes that for sure could beat me up. But that's just, they're not NFL caliber players. That's just the way that it is. And so this defense is the ultimate stars to scrubs build. They're starting 11 are all really fantastic players, but it, get, it goes downhill really fast from there. And so depth was one that was certainly a concern. Um, JT, before we get to our, our first winner, were there any comments that we need to address here? Yeah, I mean, we have one here by Z Dean who says, agreed, all rookies except maybe 45-year-old Stetson Bennett <laughs> look like they're still figuring things out. Well, when you're um, too old to be on your parents' insurance anymore, you've seen a thing or two, right? Like, you know, you'd expect him to have a little bit more life experience, and I'm not shocked at all that he uh, had a decent first showing. Yeah, and then we had some other guys here, like as you were saying, towards the depth, we had guys like... Caleb Murphy yesterday with three pressures, one sack and one tackle for loss, who is considered kind of a depth player right now on that Titans defense. Who's trying to make a name for himself. That was really the first um, time we'd seen anything from Caleb Murphy. I mean, I was talking on this show for a couple weeks about how like Caleb Murphy at camp, where is he? I'm not seeing him. He's not doing anything yesterday. He made a little bit of a mark for himself, which was a good thing. And that was, he was my guy this week. That was like the defensive player that I thought was going to, sh to kind of bring something this, this week. Um, so that is my one victory lap there because I think you beat me on every other one this yeah, week. Yeah. So uh, it's okay, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that. But yeah, for right now, the depth is concerned. And I think for rookies, especially like it is just a huge learning curve for a lot of them. And they're kind of absolutely battling with those third stringers that also just like, it's like rookies trying to figure things out and third stringers who have been here maybe for a while and just don't have the talent to make it to the next level. Well, looking at the comments, I see that Joey Turner's in the house and he said Spears looks legit, which is a perfect segue into our first winner today, Tajay Spears. If you've been following this show since hmm, February, 
you've known that this guy's going to probably be a good football player in the NFL. And yes, he only had what, how many, did he have like 10 carries yesterday? I believe he had um, six. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say single digit carries. Yeah. He, he comes away with uh, six carries for 32 yards, 5.3 yards per attempt with a long of 14 yards. So he really only played that first series with the first team offensive lineman and Malik Willis, where the Titans marched down on a scripted series and score a touchdown. And he looked really, really good doing so in the passing game, in the running game. PFF apparently didn't score him very highly, which is one of those things where you're like, this is why people don't always trust PFF scores. I will say maybe in defense of PFF, when you have a sample size of six of anything in the NFL, like it's really difficult to do those scores in general in preseason sample size for starters that are playing a series or two. Like how do you score a CJ Stroud who threw four balls and had like two or three complete, like it's, it's incomplete. This, the grades should be incomplete if they wanted to save face um, and not get clowned online, which they are so apt to do. But yeah, Spears looked really, really good in the limited time that we saw him. Certainly getting that starter's treatment. I think a lot of people, JT, maybe Tajay Spears was the number one player on this team, or player of note, that is, that the general public Titans fan, it seems like the people were kind of behind the eight ball on this one. Because I don't know about you, but I saw a lot yesterday of people being like, oh, well, there's, you know, running back two competition is over. It's Spears. Brother, there... It's been over. What are you talking about? Since the moment he was drafted in April, he was your running back too. He's easily the most talented guy not named Derrick Henry in that room. Like we've established this. And it I I tweeted this out earlier today that I, this morning I woke up and was just kind of laughing to myself at how many people heard Tajay Spears in April had this strange medical circumstance on draft night. And then chose to really just do no further research on him as a prospect. And they just they threw their hands up and said, this is a horrendous pick. I hate it. Like plenty of us have been telling you all about Spears since February. If only you had been listening. I went back and found our episode. I have there's a YouTube video on Broadway Sports Media's page, a clip from our show from February 7th. It is me interviewing, talking to Zach Lyons and Sony Keeley, friends of the show, live at the Senior Bowl where they had, for the first time, discovered this guy, Tajay Spears, and were telling me all about this elite, electric, elite, electric prospect that they had found uh, down there in Mobile. And we're, we're super excited to talk about him. And we talked all about how he's a guy that they had circled as a potential Titans target and thought he would be a really, really nice addition to any NFL roster. But instead, so many people heard no ACL. This is the no ACL running back on, on draft night in that third round and determined that Rand Carthen had made a horrible mistake. So first of all, like do better people, because th there were, there were plenty of us telling you this. And I had one person push back on that tweet and they said, let's hold off on the victory lap until he makes it through the, through the season. This has freezing cold take potential. And my response is just like, do you mean like the full seasons he played in 2021 and 2022 in which he had nearly 3000 yards from scrimmage and 30 touchdowns because he didn't have an ACL for those seasons either like that. He didn't lose the ACL between college and the NFL. He's been doing this. He's been his teams. I mean, in Tulane, he was his team's entire offense for the most part in his last two seasons without an ACL. So if he gets injured this year and misses some time, God forbid, it's more likely to be just a coincidental injury. The kind of thing that happens in the NFL 
than it is to be related to his unique situation with one of his knees. But on a broader note, I think that that is missing the, the larger point that I'm making here in that his unique medical situation, like nobody is saying that isn't something to take serious. And at least on the surface is a red flag. Like it is. And that, that is something that was taken into account when he was evaluated by us and, and by NFL teams for sure. But my point is that when he was drafted, that's kind of all there was to say about him. Like that's what it was boiled down to is that this is the running back without an ACL. And I, along with a variety of much more talented evaluators than you and I, JT had spent months at that point, talking about this dynamic and explosive player, this prospect that we really liked and talked about all these reasons why he was a likable guy and the kind of guy that you would probably want to add to your team as a versatile piece that would really fit anywhere. And all of that was washed down the drain on draft night when it was no ACL bad pick. That's what it was boiled down to. And, and I'm sure people can understand why that is frustrating. And I'm glad that we finally have gotten to some live action here where he got a chance to show people what he's capable of and that he's not defined by this weird medical circumstance. So definitely a winner in this game. Tajay Spears caught a lot of people's attention, looked really, really good. And uh, I think he's going to be very, very good for this team. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where those conversations about uh, Tyshay Spears not being the running back two for this team came from. Like the dude, if you just watched any of his college tape, you knew that he was going to have a, a substantial role here with, with the Titans. I do think it brings up an interesting point though um, with this overall running back battle. We talked about the 53 man roster and how many running backs are they going to keep? Obviously, the situation gets a little bit more interesting now with Jonathan Ward kind of banged up after yesterday's game. Right. However, as Zedin pointed out, uh, can Hassan Haskins do anything besides run into the backs of offensive <laughs> linemen? And further than that, I just thought it's an interesting time to touch on that Hassan Haskins. Um, he did not impress me yesterday. I don't know if you have any thoughts on him. He was no. not very impressive. Um, and if Jonathan Ward is out for a substantial amount of time, it may save him his job, but like it, it, it seems like we're getting towards looking like Hassan Haskins might be having one foot out the door with this Titans team. No, I agree. And I was talking with some folks on Twitter yesterday about this um, with Haskins, like Ward and chestnut are both better, pure runners of the football than he is. I think that's pretty clear to anybody that just watches him play, watches the, the three of them play. They are better running backs than he is where chestnut has both of them beat kind of in spades is he is easily the best, including Derrick Henry, the best of this team's running back room as a pass blocker out of the backfield. So as a third down back purely as a blocking player, he is the best. And as a special teams threat, he is one of the best special teamers on the entire team. So it's that versatility. It's those extra elements of his game that win him over um, favor with the coaches, but it's his legal situation that is throwing a knot in all of this. I just, it's the, it's the legal thing, because if you told me that that was like, if that never became a thing and we were just talking about the players and the quality of the product they were putting on the field, I would still think Haskins is on this team because of what he can do and add a, you know, because with, with Ward and chestnut, there does become an element of redundancy in that room. Ward is kind of just for my money, he's like 80% Tajay Spears. Like he, That's the same mold of player. Chestnut, kind of the same thing, 
maybe more of a traditional ground and pound back, not as utilized in the passing game, but he doesn't bring that extra element of special teams prowess and, and blocking ability that Haskins has with Ward going down yesterday. And we have no idea the extent of his injury. We'll see if he's out there at practice at all this week. I'd imagine tomorrow he won't be, but you never know. That's one of those things where that could ultimately save him his job. I'm with you. I think the next two weeks or so will give us a clearer picture on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so our next topic is the loser that was ball security in this game. Ball security was a big loser in this game. And JT, I was I was writing, uh, I'm putting out this winners and losers column on Monday morning. I was writing it a bit yesterday after the game. And I'm just sitting there thinking, how many times did I sit in the Titans press box last year writing this column and talking explicitly? Like, it's very Groundhog's Day for me. Talking about how ball security is one of those fundamental things. Like, if, if you lose the turnover battle that often renders anything else you do in the game pretty futile like that. And that I think applies to preseason games as well. Like there's no escaping the fact that when you turn the ball over more than the other team, that can ultimately mean you lose the game no matter what else happens. And the Titans did turn the ball over four times yesterday, um, twice via interception, twice via fumble. Needless to say, I'm, I'm expecting ball security drills to be a Big old point of emphasis at practice this week. I'm sure that they will. I think Mike Rabel's already got his his uh, boxing glove wrapped up, taped up, ready to go, trying to punch some of those balls out at practice because that's something that he's going to be uh, focusing on. But um, just to kind of recap what all went wrong, the sloppiness began on a play immediately following a Chicago turnover of their own. Uh, Ryan Stonehouse, he, he had a punt muffed and recovered by linebacker and special teams ace Luke Gifford on the Bears' 25-yard line. But then Malik Willis dropped back and sailed that pass to rookie tight end Josh Wiley that was tipped and intercepted. Wiley definitely could have caught that ball, he, but he is also all of 6'7". Like he's he's a, a quarter inch shy of being 6'7 or whatever. Um, So anyone arguing that Willis threw a good ball? No, he did not. He threw that ball way too high. Josh Wiley may be the only person on the team that could have gotten up and, and caught that ball due to how freakishly tall he is. And so that was a combination of two things that became the dumbest debate ever yesterday on Twitter. People arguing, was it Wiley's fault? Was it Willis's fault? We talked to Mike Ribble today back at Titans HQ on Sunday when we're recording this. And uh, here's the clip, JT. Clip one is Mike Ribble hopefully putting an end to this debate of whose fault it was. I'm sure Malik's going to want to make it lower, and I'm sure Josh is going to want to catch it. So something, you know, we're going to have to execute that play, whether we do one of those two things, but that that's a play that needs to get executed. It was, it was open and Josh throttled down where he needed to throttle down and Malik went to the right guy. And unfortunately, uh, you know, being, having that type of field position, that those are the ones that, that really can change the, the game when you look at it, when you play, you know, just how the momentum went, being able to get an interception, get a decent return, have it in the fringe and be able to turn that into points is, is kind of how we want to play. And like Logan said in the comments, there were six turnovers combined in the second quarter alone. Um, the next turnover came again. Josh Wiley just couldn't keep himself clean yesterday. He fumbled a bobbled catch. Um, Willis joined him with the fumble of his own on the Titans third turnover of the day. And then uh, and that, that was a, that was a, a strip sack fumble, which is, is, you know, 
Vrabel talked to it today. That, that's difficult. Like he had his arm cocked back, about to release the football, and was you know blindsided. The ball swatted out of his hand and recovered by the defense. Um, the fourth turnover came courtesy of Will Levis on the last play of the game. The defense was very much backed up. It was a prevent situation, uh, a pass into triple, maybe quadruple coverage. There's a lot of Bears defenders in the area. It was easily intercepted. Um, the player, the, the Chicago player that, that came up with the ball, very center field-ish reception. The, no one around him, no Titans receiver in the vicinity. A strange play that seemingly was just a miscommunication. So a bad day for ball security. And I wouldn't say a bad omen for the Titans season, but it needs to be downhill from here on the turnover front and not not uphill in terms of the number of turnovers per game. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, some of those... It, it is just kind of the growing pains of it. Obviously, just a, a ball that sailed kind of on Malik still was very close to to Josh Wiley being able to catch it. However, a guy that we have kind of praised for having tremendous hands still couldn't bring it down. So, you know, things that still need to be worked on, obviously, uh, Malik getting strip sacked and just kind of uh, Levis just chucking it up there towards the end of the game on a, on what he called yesterday, kind of a miscommunication between him and the receivers. So all things that they're still working out, like you said, y- you want to see the turnovers probably go down from here, but um, it-, it is just kind of the growing pains of an offense and I'm not too concerned about it. Speaking of those two young quarterbacks, let's talk about them. Um, our next two winners and losers are going to be, Malik Willis and Will Levis, um, respectively, but uh, the qualifiers here, they both looked about what I expected them to look like yesterday. I give the nod to Willis because he was the more impressive player, seemed to be in better command of the situation, had a little bit more of an opportunity with some higher quality players. So there's certainly something to be said about that. But at the end of the day, he looked like the better player out there. And it was certainly more productive than Levis was. Let's talk about Levis in a second. First, let's talk about Willis, who is the technical winner here. Um, well, actually, before before I uh, move to just Malik, let's talk about both of them in terms of how long they held onto the ball. Both guys took way too long to let go of the ball, and this in camp had largely just been a Malik issue for, to the naked eye. Those of us there watching, um, that was a big issue for both guys yesterday. Malik, his time to average time to throw was 3.18 seconds. Levis was 3.1 flat seconds. Um, both just that too long, guys. Way too long. Cannot be doing that. Um, for reference, Ryan Tannehill's average last year was, I believe, 2.68 seconds um, to release the ball. And only four NFL quarterbacks qualifying for the statistic last year were north of three seconds long. So, not great. Um, also not great in this, in the sack avoidance category. I believe that there were let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sacks total yesterday um, of, of uh, both players. I think for each the responsibility um, that was charted. It looks like Will Levis was responsible for one of those sacks. Zach Johnson, uh, new ish lineman to the Titans, two of them, Nicholas Petit Freire, woof. One of them, Xavier Newman Johnson, one of them, Jalen Duncan, one of them, and two were coverage sacks. But let's let's listen to a clip from Vrabel on Malik Willis now. We asked him today about what his review of Malik Willis's day overall was, and here's what he had to say. Hosier, I thought that you know there were some opportunities for him to to run. Uh, he he ran, you know, and, and was able to do that. 
thought he did a nice job you know, when, he, when he did get out of the pocket, keeping his eyes down the field and was able to, to, to be a thrower when he felt like there was something there. You know, never going to restrict his ability to, to, to make plays with his feet. Be smart with the football. You saw him convert down there in the red zone for you know a huge, huge first down that allowed us to to then eventually score uh, with Malik there you know, at the end of that first drive. The most impressive drive for Malik for me, JT, and I, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but it, it was the play, or the the series rather, right before the end of the first half. And, and um, my buddy Tron Davenport charted this out on Twitter yesterday. Here was what that looked like. Okay, he took over uh, with the Titans offense. With seven or seventeen, with uh, a minute and eight seconds left to go, they were at the Titans' seventeen-yard line. So he had an eleven-yard completion to Racy McMath, um, an incompletion on a pressure, then a thirteen-yard pass to Reggie Roberson, five-yard run by Jonathan Ward before he got injured, seven-yard pass to Roberson, um, and ultimately that turned into a sixty-yard drive in nine plays over a minute and eight seconds left to take that lead at halftime and get that field goal up and good. Um, th this is a second clip from Mike Vrabel on Malik Willis. And we asked him about that drive in particular and what he thought about his command in that situation and what he, what he felt, uh, he saw executed well from Malik on that drive. Here's what Mike Vrabel had to say. Great situations, you know, situations that we work on in practice. Um, you know, we talked about it, you know, after whatever things happen in practice, that's why you practice to, to come out there and to be able to execute and to have. You know, 19 seconds on the clock, no timeouts, and you know, being a down, down clock situation, and have them execute it and then make the field goal. So that that's it's really positive. Okay. Let's move on to the the counterpart here. The technical loser of the day was Will Levis, and I, I'm calling him again. Both guys were very similar performances. Both perfectly fine. Neither was perfect. Not not even close. Um, but fine debuts for both of them, in my opinion. With Levis, it's a loser because I think a lot of us. I mean hand up this show last week we talked all about how we thought the, the will levisance was coming this weekend and that he would take the mantle of that second uh string quarterback after this game certainly not the case very much still a competition and i wish i'd stuck with my original take from all the way back in may when we're talking about how you know malik willis people have you know given up on him they're certainly sleeping on him don't be surprised if he makes camp in august really interesting here we are and he's doing that. Um, so we should have stuck to our guns there. But with Levis, again, he looked like a rookie. He looked fine. And when you look at the rest of the rookies, I mean, I joked on Twitter that he had to make that interception on the last play of the game because fellow rookie quarterbacks in the AFC South, Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud had also already thrown interceptions in their first action in the NFL. So he just he had to follow suit. Now, Bryce Young did not um, did not complete the the gamut. We didn't get to complete the full top four interception parlay unfortunately they only let him throw six attempts which was lame but they got him out there real quick before he could make such a mistake i thought that he looked fine jt i, I don't really have any mind-bending analysis on on his game i thought that he looked much more timid 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 in in the game than he had in practices recently um but there's an element of bright lights you know first action trying to just get your sea legs. I think that it all looked like I expected it to look. What did you think? I mean, yeah, I, he is a, this is his first ever NFL game. He is a rookie. Like I expected at the end of the day, Malik Willis, who was a second year player and who has been grinding all off season to look like the better player. And that was kind of 
to Malik, it was kind of my point that I had a question like, are, okay, are we going to see Malik actually throw the ball and make his progressions and look through his reads instead of just reverting to running the ball? And I was pleasantly surprised with Malik and I would also give him the winner uh, designation this week because he did answer that question for me. For the most part, like Malik did really well with his progressions and was throwing the ball a lot more than we saw him uh, last year. And with Absolutely. Will Levis, like, yeah. I mean, like you said, like the same reason why I said let's pump the brakes and relax on CJ Stroud. Like it is their first game. There is an yeah. element of nervousness. Like Will Levis can be throwing it, slinging it against his own guys. But when you get out there on a field with, with all those fans and you have to do it in a game, it's, it's always going to take time. So um, by designation, yes, Will Levis was the loser of this game, but like nothing he did like, was a concern. Um, just he didn't look bad. He just looked fine. And that's what I expect from him. Now, and we mentioned this before he, he did say on that, on that last throw where he was picked off, he, he was waiting for, for the wide receiver to come open across the middle, but they just weren't on the same page. And that was, I don't know if it was a wrong route run or if Levis had the wrong play in his head one way or another miscommunication, not, not instead of being a, a horribly inaccurate quarterback, um, play. It was, it was just a, a miscommunication there. But the last thing I'll say on him is that, you know, folks will and have already seen the tangible, significant improvement that Malik Willis made from year one to year two. And just in that game alone, you could tell, and they will willingly make the same reactionary nonsense mistake of writing off Will Levis, a player who is also being given at least one year to learn and develop resist impatience people like th this is not hard just be patient he played what 18 18 uh, pass snaps in his first yeah. preseason game as a rookie like he it's it's uphill from here okay the, 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 that's just the nature of being a quarterback in the nfl and i will um, say I, real quick just yeah. there it's interesting how did you think we have to talk about of course i think an important part about this is that the two like alternated drives how mm. how do you think that impacted their play style because i think um a couple of people in the comments here did bring up a good point earlier to uh in in this live stream here as z dean said he said he wasn't really a fan of alternating qbs felt like neither of them got into a groove outside the first series and uh joey turner also agrees with that and says both guys showed lots of good and bads but neither was really put in a position to get into a groove and succeed with the alternating play and that was something i kind of brought up um, on Friday or on Friday show that if we do see them alternate, that might be um, kind of the outcome and the result of this game. I don't know if that's what you saw or how did you think the alternating of play impacted it? Yeah. I mean, we talked about this last week about how they may go a different, a number of different routes as to how they play their quarterbacks. And there were pros and cons to, to any of the approaches the, the pros and cons to this approach were pro you get to see, each guy with each different level of personnel. Like you get to see each guy with some of the ones and mostly twos against the, you know, the bears ones and twos. And then you get to see each guy with the three, the twos and the threes against the twos and the threes. And then all threes versus all threes. It's not lopsided that way. Cause you've given one guy, one half and one guy, the second half, you do get that lopsided circumstance where it becomes difficult to compare those two very different pictures to one another. Now, uh, 
the, the, the con to this is pretty obvious. And in the comments, people have been making this point clear. I think it's obvious to anybody. Like you don't, you don't have any ability to get into any kind of rhythm. You can't find your groove at all. It is, it is choppy back and forth. And also if you get in there for a three and out, like what, not all drives are made the same. Right. And we did see some guys get two drives before the next guy take over. Like they didn't, it wasn't a pure one, 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 but there is still some unfairness to that, right? There's no real perfectly fair way to do it. And so that's why we have three games. Like these guys will be given different circumstances, different chances, different looks in the next two games. And, and also maybe even more importantly in these joint tr uh, training camp practices, we're about to see that's where they're going to get a lot of reps against other teams in different personnel packages and all of that. So that that's good. There's still plenty of opportunity for them to do all of that. Um, my next winner is uh, three guys from the defensive side of the ball that I just wanted to briefly shout out. Uh, Eric Guerrer, Chance Campbell, and Mike Brown. Those are the three guys that, that stood out to me, caught my eye. A um, little pat on my back for Chance Campbell. I did say he would stand out in last week's episode. He did make a an impact. I believe he played the most of the inside linebacker snaps. I think he had something like 30 or 40 snaps in the game. And uh, maybe that's not true. But I know I know it's the most snaps of the inside linebackers um, based on the chart that I saw on, on Tron Davenport's Twitter account. He looked really good. Another guy that looked really good was Eric Guerra. He's probably the, the number one gold star to me. He had four solo tackles, um, at least two or three of which really stood out in, in my mind as really nice open field individual tackling um, opportunities for him to show what he's all about. And I think absolutely solidify himself as a guy that is maybe on the inside of this roster bubble instead of on the outside. And then Mike Brown is somebody that had at least one really nice play that stood out to me in coverage. But he's an example of a guy who is winning himself a roster spot via special teams. And I tweeted this out when the Titans did have that punt muffed and recovered um, by 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 Tennessee. That was a one-two punch of Mike Brown hitting the punt returner, jostling that ball loose, and then special teams ace Luke Gifford running down there and getting on the ball. Like, how to make an NFL roster in two easy steps. That is it right there. Show out in special teams. Get your butt down there, show effort, show conditioning, show um, technical prowess. Special teams is the proof, the proving ground, really, in, in preseason games for these back of the roster guys to show what they've got and to make themselves valuable to a team that needs good special teamers. That NFL teams will always, always, always value special teamers probably three times more than the average fan does. And that's a big deal. So those guys were winners for sure. Uh, the next loser is Josh Wiley, who we've mentioned a couple of times in negative light today. He just had a bad day. I think that this is his debut. He'd probably want back if he could could redo it. And again, for him, luckily, there are more games for him to play this preseason. And then this season when he, he's not really in he's not in danger of uh, if anybody hears that my whole house is rumbling with thunder right now. We've got some storms rolling through Middle Tennessee, but he, he's not in danger of missing the roster cut. But he did only finish with two receptions for nine yards and a fumble. He was also, of course, partially responsible for that first interception, the pass that went sailing over his head and through his outstretched hands. As a fifth-round pick, like Wiley is still very much a work in progress, though as somebody who has seen firsthand what he's capable of in practice, th that performance yesterday was far from up to snuff by his standards. Like it, it, I've seen much, much, much better from him in practices at Titans HQ. 
And so, like I said, he's not really at risk of missing the final roster, but if he keeps stacking days like this, that could potentially change. Uh, the next winner is Caleb Shudak. We did finally see somebody blink in the kicking competition. Um, our guy, Trey Wolf, missed his one field goal opportunity. Caleb Shudak made his one opportunity. They both got one field goal try and one extra point attempt. Um, and after a back and forth that was a stalemate for you know near perfection, both guys since May, like it's not really, it's nobody has had that clear mantle as the the front runner. I guess now he technically might have a front runner in Caleb Shudak. It is worth noting that on a kickoff, Caleb Shudak did kick a ball out of bounds, which is a big no-no. And, and we asked Mike Ribble about it today, and he was very terse and uh, gave a short answer. Like, we we don't want to kick the ball out of bounds. And so that's that's something that has to go in the ledger for him. Obviously, it's not a you know a point system trying to figure out which guy is going to win the job. But um, Shudak was good from 41 Wolf was no good from 48. It was funny. Like both kicks were eerily similar looking on the TV screen. They both tailed off to the left side of your TV screen. So they, they both sailed just a hair right on both kicker. And it made me wonder they were so similar looking. The one that was good was just good. And the one that was bad was just bad. It made me wonder if Shudax was good by nature of being the shorter kick. Like I wonder if Shudax kick would have been no good from 48 and Wolves would have been good from 41. Like, I, I don't know. They were very similar kicks. I'd imagine the team in general, like, yes, technically one made it and one lost. I, we're going to talk to special teams coordinator, um, uh, Craig Ackerman tomorrow before practice. And we'll ask him about this, but I'd imagine he wasn't super thrilled with either field goal attempt. Either way, the, the, the technical point does go to shoot and coming out of preseason game one, um, that, you know, that it's a big deal for these, these guys, for their roster prospects, you got to prove it in the real game like scenario. Um, I, I do wonder though, we've gotten to see these guys kick a ton at practice, right? And we're going to get, I, I don't know, like maybe five field goal attempts each from them in these preseason games. There's no way to know. Like they could end up with one field goal try each in three preseason games. And then you're like, do you know what I mean? Like how, how much does, and I'm going to ask the coaches this, but how much do, when you're putting the roster together at the end of the day, how much do you value those very, very small sample size game kicks versus the, the much larger sample size in, you know, game like scenarios with a full team out there on the field and a full defense at practice where these guys are getting to go like 10 to 12 kicks a day against each other. And we're getting that direct comparison day in and day out. How do you balance those things? I don't know. And maybe the, the few kicks in the preseason game prove to be what has to be the tiebreaker because they just won't miss in practice, which has sort of been the case so far. But I'm going to talk to the coaches about that and see what they think about you know value of preseason kicks versus larger sample size. I don't know what they uh, what they value more in that regard. We're done with the winners and losers, but a couple more notes on this game before we get to some Titans news and we'll get out of here. The starting offensive line did play a series to start the game. JT, I thought that they looked good. We talked to Mike Vrabel about them today. He said that he thought they looked good um, as they should. And it wasn't like they were going up against backups. They were going up against the starting front of the Bears. I'd imagine they were relieved to finally face a Bears, you know, anybody but the Titans front four in practice, which is a very tough test. 
The Bears front proved to be much less of a tough test. And for those top five guys, which, by the way, for those that didn't pay super close attention, Chris Hubbard was the guy in there at right tackle for the Titans on that first drive. Um, they looked good. Didn't you think that they looked like a group that, you know, if that in the Bears defensive front, maybe maybe a, a lower bar than league average, but they seemed serviceable in their very short time out there on the field yesterday. I mean, they were a big part of why Tajay Spears was able to get out in kind of open space yesterday. There was a sure. couple of those plays where the offensive line did their job and therefore Tajay Spears could get out into the open field and kind of make his impact there. They also bought Malik Wills a bunch of time, especially like on the first play of the game. Like Malik had one of his characteristic slow drop backs and then found Chris Moore over the over the over the middle of the field um, pass. Yep. for the first pass of the game. So I think. They were very serviceable today, um, for sure. I, I won't say that they they were lights out, but for, for what it was worth on their first drive there, um, they were good. And then some numbers from the backup guys, and this is where it gets concerning. The Titans absolutely have a tackle problem on their hands. Backup tackles Zach Johnson and Andrew Rupchich tied the team lead in pressures allowed. They each allowed five pressures in the game against the, you know, the very bottom of the Bears depth chart pass rushers. Um, but more concerning than that, arguably, is Nicholas Petit-Ferrer getting work with that second and third team offense at the end of the game. The guy that you're wanting to come back and be your starting tackle once his six game suspension is served. He gave up four pressures on just 13 pass block snaps. That's no good, man. That's not that's not going to fly. That that dog doesn't hunt. That does not work. As for Jalen Duncan, rookie tackle. He allowed four pressures on 18 pass block snaps. The Titans tackle situation is just, it's bad. It's rough. Um, NPF needs to be good after those six weeks. Like we've been talking for weeks now about how it's just survive until he gets back, survive until he gets back. That's under the assumption that when he gets back, things are better at that rate. That's not, that's, that's not better. That's there's no way that's better than whatever the Titans have a right tackle. And even if it is, doesn't matter. That's very, very bad. Four pressures on 13 pass block snaps is no good. Um, one more clip to play from Brable before we get to the news. We we had to kind of close the book on head coach T, Terrell Williams, the acting head coach for the Titans this weekend. Um, we asked Brable if he felt he got everything that he wanted to out of that experience, and here's what he had to say. I think it was um, enjoyable. It was the most important thing. It was, it was well-deserved. It was something that I, I sh absolutely should have done. It was it was cool just to see him communicate, and he does have a relationship with a lot of guys on the offense. And um, watching him sit in those meetings or talk to those players uh, in that capacity was cool. Mike, all right. And with that, let's get to the news with producer JT. Yeah, starting off here in the news, we have a couple Titans and AFC South specific things uh, dealing with one player that we kind of got a confirmation on from the couple of injuries from yesterday's game. Early word on Titans defensive tackle, Shaquille Brown, who left the game in Chicago on a cart with what was reported as an ankle injury, is that he is probably done for the season. However, he was no roster lock, and that comes from a friend of the show, Paul Kaharski. So um, the first guy to go and to fall on this Titans team this year. Yeah, massive bummer. It does sound like his season's probably going to be coming to an end. And uh, yet another guy that the Titans lose on that Titans uh, defensive depth chart where things are already grim and shallow as is. Moving on here to the Houston Texans, who earlier today signed veteran wide receiver Adam Humphreys. What? 
does that move the needle very much? Who knows? No. Like, <laughs> I, I have no I, idea. But I looked it up today when I saw this. Adam Humphreys is only 30 years old. I would have is bet he really? a, I would have bet a lot of money on this dude nearing social security benefits. Like that, that's I thought that he was old, old, old. And Titans fans will know, like, he was the slot machine. He was he was money as a slot receiver for the Titans for a couple years there in, in recent memory with that that um AFC championship game run team. That that was the guy that was your money third down player who unfortunately his career just kind of de derailed by the number of injuries and in particular concussions that he sustained. But that was one where he he seemingly we went to he went to Washington in, in a trade or in free agency and then wasn't really a thing there. Dealt with injuries, disappeared for a while. I don't think he played anywhere last year. If he did, he didn't do anything. And then now he's reemerging with the Texans. Lord knows their wide receiver room needs help. It's a it's a bad situation down there, but. But Adam Humphreys, uh-uh. Moving on here, Jadavian Clowney making his tour of the AFC South right now. Not at all confirmed, but he did the reportedly... the Titans rising dead today. Like, yes, what's going the, on? The, the Jaguars are reportedly meeting with Jadavian Clowney today. Um, so no word if he is going to sign there. However, he has now met with the Jaguars and the Ravens. However, I think it would be pretty funny if he did sign there because then obviously that means he has to sign with the Colts to just kind of finish out the, the entire AFC South, right? Yeah. Wait, I, he's, he almost finished the, the gamut, the gauntlet. He's got to finish the gauntlet. I'm with you hundred percent. If he does end up with Jacksonville, all I have to say on that front is he's not a huge needle mover um, because of his injury risk. If he stays healthy, he's certainly a plus player on the field. And I'd say for that Jacksonville front in particular, which we've talked about their defensive front, their pass rush is really, really weak. So adding him would certainly be a boost to an already pretty bad room. Finally for the Titans here, they are headed to Minnesota this week for joint practices. They will practice on Wednesday and Thursday. And then their second preseason game is on Saturday. Yeah, um, we got a clip from Mike Vrabel. We asked him today, the final clip of the show, we talked about what you are looking to get from this joint practice with Minnesota this week. They'll be there later in the week, and uh, they'll get a couple practices in, like you said, before the game on Saturday. But here's what Mike Vrabel had to say about Minnesota and getting to practice against that pretty good offense. I think they've got good skill players. Uh, I think that they've got good skill players. I think that's something that can, that can help us. I think defensively that multiple, you know, with, 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 with B-Flow, you know, Kirk's always done a fantastic job at the end of the game, you know, situationally. And so I felt like just a lot of those factors that, you know, could help us. We, we, we do all those things. We do those situations. And, you know, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us. Is it interesting? And then finally here, a perfect layup, as Joey Turner just commented, continuing on the don't be the dumb rival fan, be the educated rival fan theme of the last month or so. Are you guys going to do a weekly recap on the three other teams going forward? Why? Yes, yes. We around are. around the NFL. Here we go. The Texans defeated the Patriots 20 to nine on Friday. CJ Stroud 
as we said, did struggle in that game. He went two for four with 13 yards and one interception. Um, so maybe CJ Stroud season on the downfall, but on he the sucks. Up- he's a yes. bust. It's over. But on the uptick, Tank Dell season is here, ladies and gentlemen. Five receptions for 65 yards and a touchdown. I choose not to see it. I choose not Houston, to see it. your thoughts on those two? I choose not to see it uh, with, with <laughs> Tank Dell, that is. Old Nathaniel Dell, we were not – I was not high on him as a receiving prospect. He looked good. He looked fine. He had that one touchdown catch that is a, a, a bad bobble and potentially an interception, definitely probably an incompletion in a real game. But – Good for him. I'm glad he, I mean, like, I'm not praying his downfall or anything. I just, he, he's making me look dumb and certainly did in his debut in which he looked really, really good. But I also wonder if that's a, again, a, a function of the fact that, that team's wide receiver room, like he, he, he may not be a good receiver. And also he may be one of the best receivers on that roster. And as Pretty Boy Lipschitz points out, as we're following on the PFF is totally uh, reliable in this first game, guys. George Fant with the 30 PFF grade, so we dodged a bullet, of course. Pretty Boy, why do you want... I'm I'm hoping you're being sarcastic because it's hard to take you seriously when you say stuff like that. You dodged a bullet (laughs) on a guy with a PFF score, which we've already in this episode established, aren't super reliable, especially in preseason games where the sample size is low, and you're also making a judgment, judgment call based on one preseason game. Like, Wait, wait, I just I, I'm going to bring this back up. I'm bringing this back up in week three when the Titans right tackle, whoever it is, allowed six sacks and George Fant is looking like a serviceable option. Like I'm bringing this back around to how foolish you look. Moving on here, the Jaguars defeated the Cowboys 28 to 23. Uh, Nathan Rourke with maybe the play of the season so far here in week one. I know you had a lot to say about that play. And then also Calvin Ridley returned to the field recording two receptions for 21 yards. Brother, play of the week. He's already a candidate for play of the year. Like, I don't care if it's in the preseason. I don't care that it's Nathan Rourke, backup quarterback for the Jaguars. Apparently, quarterback converted to wide receiver, now converted back to quarterback is what I'm being told. But, like, good for him, man. That thing was awesome. That play was sick. And I saw a video of them playing. He's a former uh, BC Lion uh, up in the Canadian League, CFL. They were playing that clip. I guess the Canadian League's still going on. They were playing that clip on the Jumbotron at a BC Lions game and all of his former teammates were uh, videoed watching in awe of, of their boy, Nathan Rourke doing work out there against the Dallas Cowboys and, and putting that game to bed with that touchdown pass. Moving on here, the Colts fall to the Buffalo Bills this past weekend, 23 to 19, Anthony Richardson, and this might be a hot take, but I think he had the best outing of all four of the big the big four rookie quarterbacks. He I had agree. he he went seven for twelve with sixty seven yards and one interception. However, he did look good. He looked like he knew what he was doing, progressing through his reads. A, one bad pick, but you know that's going to mm-hmm. happen. Um, another ball that went right through the hands of Alec Pierce that probably would have stolen Nathan Rourke's thunder this week. Um, <laughs> but besides that, like he had a solid outing. Yeah, he did. And just I'm here to confirm all my priors about he is still and has been and will be quarterback one from this draft. Just that's just my evaluate my my objective evaluator cap on. He was quarterback one. He is quarterback one. He looked good. I expect him to be really good. Sorry, Titans fans. And to wrap up the news segment here, the Ravens keep their preseason win streak alive. Defeating they can't the keep getting away with it. They, <laughs> they defeat can't. the Eagles 20 to 19 to extend it to 24 straight preseason games. One, the Ravens have not lost a preseason game since 2015. At what point do you hang a banner like this? This silly, silly, stupid, ridiculous, meaningless, pointless streak that they have going. 
eventually it becomes impressive in a weird, sick, and twisted way. We're at that point, 24 straight games, eight years of preseason games. Like, it's, 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 I don't know a good comparison for it. I don't know a good analogy for it. It's just strange. And I guess they just care more than the rest of us at what about point, winning the preseason game. At what point do you start to play your veteran starters for like three quarters so that you ensure that you keep this streak alive? That's I'm sure Ravens fans have an answer on this, but like in these eight years, they clearly are in, they are intentionally trying to win these games. Like you don't accidentally win 24 straight preseason games, right? You're trying you like, it's important to you, John Harbaugh to win these games for, you know, team morale or mindset or whatever. Has there been a circumstance where you're entering the fourth quarter down, you know, 17 points? And has that changed the personnel they have on the field? Or they do their backups just always luck into winning themselves a game? Our boy Stoney in the comments saying, give the Ravens an honorary Lombardi like they get honorary Oscars. Yeah, like a lifetime achievement award for preseason wins. All, all Can they be the ultimate all-time preseason champion? Maybe we, re- we rename the preseason Ravens season. Like in in honor of their historic run, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's strange, it's weird, and I'm I hope that they never lose. Like I want to to the moon with this record. How many can they keep going? It, it makes you want to tune in to Ravens preseason games. I'll tell you that much. And that's gonna do it for our news today. All right, thank you. That was the news with JT, and that has been our show for today. Just a couple things before we get out of here and send you on your way on this fine Monday morning. For those of us that aren't listening live and to those that are live we appreciate you being here while you're here real quick go on over to where you would listen to this show if it was recorded on your podcast platform of choice like or not like (laughs) rate review subscribe that's what you need to do over there very helpful to us and of course be subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every podcast that you miss live you're gonna miss some of them you want it you want to be able to listen sent to you in your podcast feed that's what you got to do and uh we we appreciate you doing that follow us on social media at hot read pod on x or twitter on tiktok on instagram we got all kinds of clips and uh information about the show and uh, content from the show going up on those at all times we're continuing to ramp up our social media content creation for this season it's going to be a big one so go and check us out there at hot read pod on all platforms and then real quick if you haven't noticed if you haven't been around all off season we are indeed partnered with zen sportsbook this year which means when you sign up with Tennessee's newest sports book, Zen Sports, wherever you get your apps, you can find their application. Download Zen Sports Book. That is where you'll be able to sign up with our code HOTPOD, H-O-T-P-O-D. You sign up like you would for any other sports book. You put in your information. You make an account. You use the referral code HOTPOD, H-O-T-P-O-D, to get 5% cash back welcome bonus on all of your bets. JT, do you have to win those bets to get that cash back? No. So no. if you want to bet that the Braves beat the Mets 21 to three, like they did yesterday, you can do that. And you can win. And you you can win. And if you're foolish enough to bet on the Mets, you can lose and still get 5% of your bet volume back in your pocket as a thank you from Zen Sportsbook. For the first 15 days, you get that 5% cashback bonus when you use code HOTPOD, H-O-T-P-O-D. And then after that, the fun does not end. It gets down to, you knock it down at that welcome bonus, but it goes to 3% cashback forever. You get cash back on all your bets, all your betting volume forever and ever. 3% of it back in your pocket when you use code HOTPOD, H-O-T-P-O-D. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Pretty Boy Lipschitz, great show as always. Three weeks until Real Titans football. Indeed, cannot wait. We're continuing to ramp up. We're continuing to get more and more excited. We'll be back live here on this show on Tuesday afternoon and then on the podcast feed and on YouTube. First thing, Wednesday morning as usual. Back to our three show weeks, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings in your podcast feed. That's when we'll be back. 
We will love to talk to you then. Until then, for producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you on Tuesday.